0: a show called America's Funniest Home Videos. So at an early age I was trained to laugh at people who hurt themselves. So it's not my fault when I when I laugh at people like when my cousin added an O onto every English word thinking that it would be Spanish. Or, like when my cousin woke up early, we were at this beach house and she was kind of wanting to go out to the balcony, and so she was just flying right out the balcony and did not see the sliding glass door and came face first. I laughed and I promptly got in trouble by my grandpa. Or, like when my Buddy, growing up, we rode our bikes to Kmart and it was funny because it was a long ride and I noticed that he never sat down the whole ride home and he said, I need to go by my house really quick and he came back out of his house wearing a different pair of shorts. Apparently he had an accident as we drove and I thought that was funny. But what I have found is that not everyone that that happens to likes you to laugh at them sometimes they get offended and you get in trouble so i have found the safest person to laugh at is myself so i have a story from the farm and it involves our new pigs we have been playing green acres farm and we thought what a great idea to grab a couple nine week old piglets And so we grabbed four of them, and I watched some YouTube videos because that's how you get trained to take care of pigs. And it said you're going to put some hot wire up, and you just train them to the hot wire. So I put some hot wire at 8 inches, 14, and 20, and thought, this is great. How amazing. You just throw some hot wire up there, and these pigs will... Come up and respectfully decide, I'm not going to touch that because there's 10,000 volts going through there. And so what we did is we backed the trailer up. We had these four piglets and, you know, and we got it there and all the kids are around. And we thought this is great. Well, we got two of the piglets out. They promptly went into the paddock, flew through the hot wire fence, and now they're gone in the woods on my neighbor's farm. So we sat there thinking, okay, how in the world do we get these pigs back? And so all, imagine that you see my kids running this way in this tall grass, and then they're in the woods on this neighbor's farm, and then they come back around, and this pig zoo just going all around, and we're trying to catch these two piglets. It was a scene to behold, and I bet you some of you old-timers would have cracked up if you would have saw this. But here's the thing is that we ended up putting this, fence up this mesh fence, and we herded them into there, and Luke grabbed on and grabbed the one. But the other one was gone, into the woods, never to be seen again. My kids come over. I call my farmer neighbor, and I said, Hey, if you see a pig, let me know. Just then, I saw the pig. It came back around, and they're all over there. And I said, The pig is right over there. So now all the kids are The older kids are chasing this piglet around and around and around, and finally we get it back over to the net, and we catch this piglet. We put it back in the trailer, and now we're going to start over. We go inside for a cup of milk, and we laugh at ourselves, and we thought, what the, that was the dumbest thing I have ever, why would I have thought that those piglets would have respected that hot wire? So what we did is, we put them in the most, the best place, a really close place to the house. It's our wood shack, and it has wood all around. And so now we have, we caught the pigs, so no one turned me into the game warden. The pigs are not loose. We have them all. And now we have about five million flies right next to the house. So you guys are all laughing at me, and that's okay. It is safe. That's my farm story, so if you want to know about pigs, see my 7-year-old. He is now the pig herder of the family, and Millie, our 4-year-old, is said that she is the designated pig trainer. So if you need any advice, my 4-year-old and my 7-year-old is who you shall see. Grab your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 for a message entitled, Our Motivation is the Resurrection. We're almost through... The book of 1 Corinthians, we're at the very last chapter. It's been a great time as Paul has taken us through the ups and downs of this church at Corinth. The saints there, we have learned. And so, we just saw last week, it was the highlight, it was the resurrection. And that's why we as Christians know that we have nothing to fear. We have no phobias. When it comes to fear, because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is alive. We just sang that song. So that was verse 15, and then Paul is flowing into verse 16, and he's going to talk about three main things, giving, opportunities, and friendship. And the reason why it's our motivation is because Jesus has risen from the dead. And so the reason why we give is because Jesus has risen from the dead. The reason why we tell other people about Christ is because Jesus has risen from the dead and the reason why we befriend others is because Jesus has risen from the dead. He is our motivation. Let's start 1 Corinthians chapter 16 but first Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the resurrection. It's an amazing thing. Lord, we know that it is true. You have saved us, you have set us apart, and you have promised that we shall also rise from the grave. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what you have us to learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Lord, let us leave here with your thoughts. And let us do the things you have called us to do. Bless us, Father. Teach us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 1, says this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the day, on the first day of the every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. As he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go, also they will accompany me. So, Paul is talking about giving. Now, we're not going to go into an in depth study of giving and why we should give, but We're going to highlight a little bit of it because Paul highlights it here. And so, what he's saying is that bring your money together and have something to give. Have something to give. You know, I heard a story about a farmer and he came bursting into his house and he was so excited and he told his wife and his kids, Our cow has had twins, had two calves, a white one and a black one. And he said, In celebration, what we're going to do. Is we'll have one of those calves for us, and then one of them will sell and we'll raise and give it to the give the money to the church. We'll give that to the Lord. And his wife said, Okay, well, which one is gonna be the Lord's, the black one or the white one? And the farmer said, Oh, we don't need to worry about that. Well, a few weeks came by and he came in the farmhouse and he was holding his head down and he was Sad. And his wife said, what's wrong? He said, the Lord's calf has died. Sometimes when it comes to giving, we hold back a little bit. But let me encourage you with these verses about giving. And the reason why we give is because it's it's the Lord's work. You know, there's lots of things that we can give to but here's what the Bible says about giving. Proverbs 11:25 Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Luke 16:38 says this, "Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over." will be put in your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 says this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There was a story I heard about this little girl and her mom wanted to teach her a moral. And so she got the little girl and she said, here's a dollar and here's a quarter. Now when we go to church, they're going to pass the offering plate. And you decide what you're going to put in, either the dollar or the quarter. And so after church, they were in the car driving home, and the mom asked, so what did you give? The little girl said, the man in the pulpit said, we should give with a cheerful heart. We should be cheerful givers. And I knew it would make me a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter, so I did. See, sometimes money is a touchy subject with people. But it really shouldn't be because the Bible says that God is the giver of all good things. And it really becomes a trust issue. See, what happens is you trust the Lord for your health. And then you you trust the Lord for a good job. The Lord blesses you with health, he blesses you with a good job, and then you come and you trust the Lord with your money, and you put your money and you invest it into the Lord's work. And you trust that the Lord is going to use that for his glory. And you trust that you will have enough at the end of each month, and you trust the Lord, when things are tough, that he's going to come through. And so however you give to the Lord, I just want to encourage you. The Bible says this, God will owe no man anything. And there's no way that you can outgive the Lord. And I could guarantee you, some of you know this. You shovel You shovel funds to the Lord and he shovels them back. And he always wins because he has a bigger shovel. And so here Paul is saying this, take up the collection and give. Give to the Lord's work. And so me, I just want to encourage everyone, make sure that you give to the Lord. Give to the Lord. Look at verse 5. It says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, and I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you If the Lord permits But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost For a wide door for effective work has opened to me Now let's stop right there Now if you look at that And you get rid of the rest of the verse Paul's saying this In Ephesus God has opened up a wide door for me And a lot of us would think man that is great but look at what Paul tacks on at the very end he says for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries see so often we think where God calls us when there's so much opportunity that there will be no adversaries And so we get discouraged when we face opposition, when we face adversaries. You could look at adversaries a couple different ways. If you think of your place of employment and you go there and and someone there knows that you're a Christian and they just don't like you. They don't like you because they feel you're judging them. They feel that you think you are better than them. They look at you as an enemy, as an adversary. I want to read you a story to maybe get us a little different view of adversaries. This story goes like this, quote: "In the grace of living," Stephen Olford tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution, Peter Miller, who lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. And enjoyed the friendship of George Washington. In Ephrata also lived Michael Whitman, an evil-minded sort who did all he could to oppose and humiliate the pastor. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead For the life of the traitor. No, Peter, General Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend? exclaimed the old preacher. He's the bitterest enemy I have. What? cried Washington. You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant you your pardon. He did. Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. So when God opens up opportunities for you to tell others about Him, there is going to be an opposition. There's going to be adversaries, and you can look at those adversaries a couple different ways. One, you could look at them as just thorns in your side and wish that they were not there. Or you could look at your adversary as the opportunity. You could look at that person that just does not like you as an opportunity. As this pastor did. Because think about it. We all were once adversaries to God. And maybe when someone tried to share the gospel with you, you didn't treat them so well. But here's the point. You never know what God will do with your enemies. Maybe he will use you to save them. Maybe he'll use you to save them. And so Paul, what he's saying is, hey, listen, I'm going to come to you, but there's so much fruit, there's so much stuff going on here, yet there's a lot of adversaries. I'm not going to come yet because of what God is doing. So here's the thing, saints. Don't think just because where you are, if there's many adversaries, that you should be somewhere else. Look at your adversaries as your opportunity. And then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. It says this, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace. That Amy return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So here's the thing: is that Timothy was going to this church at Corinth. He was being sent there. And so these people, these Corinthians, maybe they were a little intense people. You know. Maybe they were really intellectual. And so. What he's saying is, hey, listen, be a friend to Timothy when he comes. I watched you guys be a friend to us when we arrived. A lot of you didn't know us, but when we came, you befriended us. You befriended us. You loved us. I still remember, whatever special saint you are, put sugar cereal in our pantry. And man, did that make us happy. You know, think about this. We've traveled 1,720-plus miles. Six kids, Gracie and I, in a car. It was, I think, 119 degrees in one of those uh, places that we came through in the desert. I was worried about our car overheating. And we get here to sugar cereal. Life is good. We felt loved. We opened up our pantry. There was all this food. We opened up our refrigerator. There was all this stuff. And guess what? There was milk. Because, you know, sugar cereal without milk. It's a sad day. You guys loved us. You befriended us. For whatever reason, whatever your motivation was, you befriended us. And then when we asked you to help us unload, not one tractor trailer, but two. You didn't come up with all these different reasons of why you couldn't be there. You showed up, and it was so fast. And then you loved us Even more when you showed up to help us move the second time to our farm. You guys loved us. You befriended us. And so here's what Paul is saying. Hey, listen, when Timothy comes, be a friend to him. Put him at ease. Help him on his way. I saw the way that you guys loved the missionaries that came through about six, eight months ago. And you just wanted me to know them, and you all just rallied around them, and you just love them. And so this is the church that does this well. I read a story kind of about this. It says that President Thomas Jefferson and a group of companions were riding their horses, and they came to this huge river. And the river was so swollen that the bridge was taken out, and each man had to go across the river, risking his life. And there's President Jefferson. And it says, a stranger saw what was happening, saw these men crossing this treacherous river on these horses, and he asked President Jefferson if he could ferry with him across the river. The president agreed without hesitation, and he climbed aboard, and shortly it says they made it safely to the other side. It says this, As the stranger slid off the back of the saddle onto the dry ground, one in the group asked him, Tell me, why did you select a president to ask this favor? The man was shocked, admitting he had no idea it was the president. He said, All I know, he said, is that on some of your faces was written the answer, no. And on some of them, the answer, yes. His was a yes face. His was a yes face. And so here's what we want to learn. We want to learn as a people to have a yes face. You know the kind of people, you could walk through a grocery store and you say, that's a no face, no face, yes face, yes face, definitely a yes face, no face, no face, yes face. There's something about it. So when you go to the grocery store, are you a yes face person? When you see the mom that's struggling with her kids, and you know you, they put all that candy right down there, and then stuff is going on, the kids laying on the ground, are you standing there with a no face? Get it together, mom. Or are you standing there with a yes face? You know, you're just like, I can't wait for that mom to turn around because I want to tell her she's doing a great job. I want to befriend her. I want to love on her. When you have a neighbor move in, you see that moving truck come in, you're like, hey, honey, how about we head out of town? You want to go to Florida? You have that no face, not a chance we're going over there. Or do you have that yes face? Oh, man. Hey, cancel the trip to Florida because we got some friends. Do you have a yes face? And so what Paul is saying is, is listen, Corinth, Timothy is coming in. Everyone put your yes face on. Put your yes face on. Love on him. Bring him in. Just like you guys did to us. And so when someone comes through that door and you haven't ever seen them, you think, do I got a no face? Am I going to try to get to my Sunday school class as fast as I can so I don't have to talk to those people? Or are you saying, oh, here we go. I got my yes face on. Man, how are you? What's your name? Why are you here? I'm so glad you're here. You want to sit by us? Come with me. We've all been the benefit, benefactors of yes face people. Yes-face people are the funnest people to be around. There's yes-face people in this congregation. But we have to train ourselves to be yes-face people. We have to think, why should I be a yes-face person? And let me give you the main reason because of chapter 15. Because Jesus rose from the grave. He's rescued you. You were going to hell for all eternity. And he says, No, 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 no. You're mine. He comes to the rescue. He takes off all the sins, puts it on himself. He dies on the cross and he says, Hey, now you're mine. Now you're mine. Now everything you're going to do is because you're so in love with me. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to be in you. And your motivation is now going to be the resurrection. Because I rose from the dead. And I want you to go proclaim the resurrection to your neighbor, to your coworker. I want you to give to the Lord's work. All because of the resurrection. And I want you to look at adversaries as opportunities all because of the resurrection. So when God puts an opportunity in front of you to befriend someone, be a yes-face person. And then ask the Lord to do a miracle in that person's life. See what God will do. When you look at your finances, when you and your spouse are looking at it, and you're trying to make everything work, and, and one of you says, "Well we need to give something to the Lord." And one of you says, "Well, why would we do that?" You say, "Because of the resurrection. We want to make sure that people hear the hope of the resurrection. And then when you come home and you're venting to your spouse and you say, I can't stand that person at work. I can't stand that person at school. The other spouse says, yes, yes, but remember, even though they count themselves as an adversary, they're an opportunity. They're an opportunity that Jesus Christ can set them free from their sin. And last, when you were out and about, as this man saw Thomas Jefferson, he said, you know what, that is a yes face person. Make sure that everywhere you go, you put your yes face on, as in this, I have been saved by Jesus Christ. Look at the joy that is in me. And people want to ask you things because they know you're a yes face person. As we close, I just want to encourage you. If this is convicting and you think, that's funny, I don't give to the Lord's work. I don't actually tell anyone about Jesus, and I'm definitely not a yes face person. The beautiful thing is this, is that Jesus Christ loves you. He has a plan for you. And he says, you're only one prayer away from getting right with me. There's hope. There's hope in the Lord. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And as we pray, you just ask the Lord, Lord, I pray that you would guide me on giving. Lord, that you would give me courage to share the gospel and lord that you would help me to become a yes face person put it